On this episode of the Trade Busters podcast, we're going to have our first recorded AMA session. Uh, just a quick disclaimer before we start, I'm not a financial advisor and everything on this podcast is for informational purposes only and not to be construed as an investment advice. The idea behind today's episode is similar to my previous interview episode with Ryan Miller, um, who is from the Taste Trade Options group that I'm a member of, and I basically got a couple of new investors and sat them down, gave them a chance to ask me questions. And the goal is, you know, today not to focus so much like my usual episodes on what I do and my strategies, which tend to be geared towards more advanced traders or people with larger accounts. But this time, you know, getting um, newer traders, because I know there's a lot of uh, people just starting out in the group with smaller accounts and, and hopefully see that, you know, let them hear the questions that, that these guys asked and Hopefully to know that there's someone in, in your shoes in the same boat and going through the same things you are and just another way to inspire new traders and definitely people who, you know, maybe just starting out and, and having a tough time or don't know who to turn to. I know there's people in the forum who, um, you know, are always consuming on the content in the post, but they're maybe not um, willing or, you know, have the time to, to voice their own questions. And so... Hopefully, this is something that will be um, of help. Anyways, with that said, let's uh, let's get to it. Hey guys, so welcome to the Trade Busters podcast. In our first live recorded AMA session, we've got three uh, beginner traders from the Facebook group Tasty Trade Options. Um, we have Arun Sharma, Vivek Kinra, and Karen Dobschutz. Uh So I'm going to go around and just uh, quickly before it starts, just going to ask, uh, uh, you know, what's your name? How long have you been trading options? Um, rough account size you're trading right now. And when I say, uh, the way I characterize is, uh, and, and it's up to you if you want to give this info or not, but for me, small is basically under PDT, you know, 25K. Medium is 25 to portfolio margin. And then large is above that I'm, I'm i'm guessing most people on the small and medium range so just kind of small medium large and then uh, a little bit about your background if you want to tell that you know what you do for your day job how much time you spend trading how much time you would like to spend trading and just uh, uh kind of on that so uh, uh Ruin, let's start with you okay uh, uh, thanks david uh, uh, my name is arun and uh, at least uh, as an account size if i have to start with uh, as I, I have a small account yes okay sure and uh, at least uh, I started trading options uh, since last year. End of July, it was exactly one year. Great. Uh, okay. Trading options. And on an average, I'm making uh, five to six trades a month. Yes. Okay. Uh, mostly uh, 45 DD, 30 to 45 DD uh, trades. And uh, of course, uh, I'm doing it all. On the, on the equities, uh, basically, uh, some of the equities with high, high volume uh, as in uh, trades. And for me, I'm doing a full-time job and it's hectic. Uh, I usually log in uh, to see uh, how it is behaving in the morning. Maybe uh, during the lunch via my phone, uh, just to see how other trades are doing. And maybe sometimes in the evening yes, uh, as an approach. Rest of the time, I may be able to see what how my trades are performing. Uh, I may not be able to see depending on how busy or uh, I, I'm in, in that day. Yes, uh, that's that's okay. how it is at and, least. So, just to clarify, you're not in the states, right? I, we talked about that. No, earlier. no, I am based in Germany. Yes, okay. and at least uh, I I would say I was lucky uh, because during the 2020 crash, uh, when the crash happened, usually world. Uh, kind right. of a uh, uh, person. So I've been, uh, even in during the crash 2020, I put all my equity, whatever I had, okay. uh, right. to buy the equities at uh, one third or even half the price. Uh, that's what I did. And then I started to realize, okay, maybe this is not the best way to utilize my money. Are there any other options? And I started to look into the possibilities. And that's where I was lucky to find tasty trades on uh, YouTube first. And then yeah, I started to look for a group uh, of Twitch right. trade on the, yeah, 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 yeah. And then I found this uh, Twitch trade group on uh, uh, Facebook as well. Okay. And somehow that uh, I was lucky that to find the first videos where they were emphasizing on trading small. Yeah. So uh, yeah, yeah. as an approach. So, uh, okay. And, that, uh, that makes sense. Uh, uh, but uh, I, um, I'm going to, um, 
hold that thought. We're going to move on real quick just to get the other people yeah. their input, and then we're going to come back. And I know you have a lot of questions here. So um, let's just yeah. go around real quick. Uh, Karen, um, want to kind of give us a little bit about your background? Okay. Um, <clears throat> well, I have a, I do have a degree in, in finance, and I've always, you know, uh, liked the stock market, and I always, you know, wanted to learn how to do options. Um, now, a number of years ago, I, I went to an option seminar, and it didn't really, you know, click. And then, you know, I uh, about 10 years ago, I um, I had some money, and I was just, like, buying call, calls, and that's about it. And um, But then I had to stop. I, I had to use all my money um, to pay for medical expenses, so I... I, um, you know, lost all, uh, had to spend my $100,000 uh, that I had for trading. So right. I wasn't able to trade for a long time. And then um, uh, last year, I was finally able to, you know, have a little bit of money. And um, I, want, I, I taught myself, you know, how to trade options uh, you know, mainly Tasty Trade and and some other YouTube videos, and I was basic, basically able to double my money this year. Yeah, um, we hear a lot so of that, right? People who, who get into options and yeah. then you know if we start at the right time, everyone's making money. But but yeah, um, you know. Yeah, at, but then I point. started losing quite a bit of money, and so, so now early twenty twenty one. Or no, uh, just a few couple months ago. Right. Yeah. So right. I, I need to redo my strategies. So I've sure. kind of totally, uh, I don't, all I do basically right now is I do some zero T DTE trades, uh, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I, I was doing, I, I, I like to trade the rut. I don't know. Okay. I just, I, I like that. And then I do XVX and then I, uh, I, I, and then I finally, I was uh, really bad on doing like earning trades, but now I'm, okay. I'm good at that. And it's just, it's just an evolution, you know? Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I find, but I, now I'm being a little bit more conservative since now I have, you know, a, a medium sized account. So okay. I just want to be more conservative because I think I was, you know, very aggressive you know, in the beginning, but that's how I was able to, you know, grow my account, you know, so much, but yeah, I, I need to, you know, now I'm just kind of in the mindset. I need to trade, learn how to trade a little yeah, bit better. Figure out how to re so retool can... some of your strategies and, and make some adjustments. Okay. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Uh, and once again, we'll, we'll circle back and I'm sure you have some questions on, on what to look out for and the pitfalls and everything. So, um, uh, when we circle back, definitely we'll, we'll see what kind of questions you have. So Vivek, uh, let's just move on real quick and uh, get a little bit about you. Vivek, you got to unmute real quick. There we go. Hear me, guys? Okay. Yep, there we go. Yeah, so I started trading. I think, you know, obviously, like a lot of people, they got into the stock markets, you know, after the crash. Uh, started going long a lot in May, right? but started trading options maybe in like late May, June, but going long, mostly long calls, right? Okay. And obviously uh, that was a you know, pretty good time actually to go long as well, just because everything was just you know, breaking out very uh, a lot, right? But then sometime around July or August is when I started going short, right? And just started selling options. Short uh, as in short options, not short, short options. Okay, right, right, right. Short options, right. Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, it started with just selling puts, Right. And uh, eventually uh, it became more option spreads. Okay. Right? And I would typically do more option spreads on like SBX and NDX, but, uh, you know, more, you know, further out, if that makes sense. Largely because, you know, I don't have a lot of uh, uh, time to like manage the positions on a routine basis. Right. Uh, and so, you know, typically I would go 45 plus days. And I know that the normal optimized version is about 45 days. It's just, my own situation, right, doesn't allow me to like be very heavily involved in in managing it, right? Like now, I do have a full daytime profession. I own two different companies that are all pretty big and growing, and so right now, my 
my efforts are more not as much as in like I want obviously I, I I trade a pretty large account right, but I want to reduce the size of the account by letting uh, professionals take care of that for me right as I continue to focus on my particular businesses. But I'm glad that I really learned a lot you know of the strategies because it gives me a lot of uh, uh, you know it's one of those another tool in the in the in the toolbox yeah right? more, more opportunities you know if something comes up okay right yeah it, that yeah, yeah makes sense okay yeah. cool um so let's uh let's start with the questions uh for now i'm just gonna go round robin um obviously um i'll try to get everyone the same kind of opportunity and if at the end you know run out of questions and somebody wants to ask more that's fine but um yeah let's get started so arun let's start with you uh um what's the question that you that you have uh, the the question i have is uh, since uh, i'm trading a, a small account I intend to still do that small account even I think this year as well. So right. uh, at least to get the basics right. Uh, so I, I'm I'm gonna spend uh, at least uh, another year uh, doing the basics. Right. My question is at least uh, so far uh, uh, in context to uh, uh, the trades which I'm doing, uh, like I was sharing uh, just before we started. So my first 20, in my first 25 trades I lost 75 trades percent uh, trades. Yes. Right. And then at least what is working for me currently is uh, uh, selling puts. Yes, so I'm selling like between 30 to 45 days and uh, and also buying it like uh, between 8 to 12 delta for the stocks uh, prices uh, because I'm not, uh, because of the count, I cannot trade right. uh, SPY or others. And then at least letting them expire. So that's what I'm doing uh, okay. currently. So the, my, my question in this regard would be for me as an evolution, yes, or at least... Uh, uh, to to go at least a bit uh, in the direction of uh, maybe growing big a year after. So what should be my approach? Yeah. So should I keep selling this in this way, or what we can do better? Yes. Uh, uh, what should be my approach there? I'm not sure. Yes, to be honest. That's why at least I would like to have a view. Yeah. So there's a there's a few ways. Your question is about scaling essentially, and it kind of depends on which direction you want to go in terms of strategy and how much time you want to commit to the craft. If you have time to be looking out for opportunities all the time and, and managing multiple positions, you know, kind of like Tasty Trade, they're product agnostic. So they're going to look at anything with high IVR and sell a position and then kind of manage that, you know, and, and let that go forth. Um, or if you want to kind of be a master of one product, right? Um, for example, I only tried SPY and SPX. Um, and I have a number of strategies that are all slightly different, but again, the product is the same. So you can focus on on that. So that just kind of depends on where you want to, you know, direct your efforts. But in terms of sizing, um, you're trading spreads mostly now. You said, I mean, if you're doing naked no, no, put, no. it's going to be a smaller. Uh, 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 I'm selling puts. Yes. That's... Okay. Okay. So probably on a smaller product. So, so the issue is yes. some smaller products don't have as much liquidity. Um, obviously, like you said, SPY is yeah. quite big and, you know, QQQ, SPX is really big. Um, the issue is you might want to focus on larger products that have more liquidity, kind of more mm -hmm. widely traded. So that's one way. Um, now, if there, there's a bridge between doing naked on a small um, underlying versus a spread on a on a larger one, you know, because you can start with spreads on large ones. You can go wider, and eventually, as you increase the size, you can increase the width of the spread, um, and eventually, you just go naked, right? If you're trying to trade a product like like SPY, mm -hmm. so I mm -hmm. think if if you're trading only one product, right, you're not going to be able to scale on small ten dollar, twenty dollar stocks, right? Because the thing is, your commissions are fixed, so. Yep. You know, if if depending on which broker, of course you can negotiate them. But because the 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 commission is fixed, the 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 cost of trading is fixed. So if you're trading smaller products and the credits are smaller, your fixed costs are necessarily a larger proportion. They're eating into more of your profit. So you want to focus on trading larger products. Um, sometimes even mm -hmm. if it's a, a widespread, um, so that will lower that will give you that efficiency, the economies of scale. To, to trade larger products um, and, and lower that relative drag of, of all the fixed costs of trading. And then kind of depending on if you want to branch out to, to multiple kind of underlyings or not. Um, so that, that's kind of how I look mm -hmm. at it. Um, so, you know, graduate to more products or larger products. And if you can't do naked on the larger products, do spreads and eventually widen them, right? 
Mm. Um, if you can, I prefer you widen and eventually go naked rather than just doing more spreads, right? Because people think about leveraging up by saying, if I can do one contract, I can do 10. But if you read my essays about spreads and leverage, you're actually doing a lot of leverage without realizing when you kind of just do do more contracts. So those are the kind of things you have to keep in mind. Um, but anyways, um, because uh, to be um, hey, Karen, uh, let's uh, move on to the next question. And then, you know, we'll come back um, once everyone has had, had a turn. Um, yeah, you kind of <clears throat> um, answered one of my questions because sure. I want to do want to start doing the forty five DTE, but I don't, you know, I can't really, you know, do naked, so I need to do spread. So I was kind of wondering, kind of the same question, you know, is it better to do wider? So it, so it's better to do wider than multiple contracts then. Yeah. So generally speaking. Um, I always prefer wider as close to synthetic naked as possible. The the tighter your spreads, and I did an episode on this, is like they start behaving kind of weird. Um, with the longer dated options, it, it might be okay because when you have a short and a long, the the Greeks on the the short and long sort of mute each other out. So you get just that pure directional exposure, but then you don't get the benefit of the theta decay as much. Um, and then on shorter duration spreads, it, it starts behaving weird because as, as the long strike decays, right, um, you only really have the short strike in play. So it, it almost starts behaving like a, a naked option, even though when you went in, it was as a spread. So the expectations and the behavior can kind of change. Now, generally, and I've said this before, if you can get to the point where you have portfolio margin, it just unlocks a lot of capital efficiency. So I think that's kind of the target that, that people should strive for. In the meantime, wider spreads, you know, the wider, the as wide as you're comfortable, that that's gonna make it more replicate what it's gonna be like once you kind of take those handcuffs off and get that portfolio margin. Um, other than that, uh, you can try trading futures options, and I know, you know, probably we need to do some education or maybe do an episode on this. But futures options, it's it's a larger product, but it's not as large as SPX per se, and you can get the same capital efficiency of portfolio margin without having portfolio margin and. I kind of caveat this is like look into it and make sure you understand how futures work before you do it because it, it's it's just a tool for more leverage. Um, but if somebody let's say has you know eighty thousand dollars, right, and it doesn't quite have the portfolio margin, but you understand the sizing and want to trade with ES, that 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 is an option. Um, so so yeah, that's that's my answer for that. Um, okay, uh, Vivek, your turn. Yeah, my question really is about like the full portfolio, right? Like how do you assess risk of the full portfolio that has many different positions? And I'll, I'll explain why I'm asking that. When I first started getting into selling puts, right? Uh, I had margin, you know, uh, had a margin in the, the works account from Tastyworks, right? right. And right. so I was obviously selling a lot of puts, but, uh, you know, as of course the, the, you know, the market continues to take a further downturn, right? Um, I could see that some of my positions were, you know, really at risk. And, you know, then uh, I actually called Tasty uh, 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 Works and they said, look, you know, our risk team will probably close out a couple of positions unless you fund it more. It wasn't quite a margin call yet. But, right, right. Uh, but, you know, in a, in a uh, normal stocks account, it's a little easier to just recognize, okay, where you are in margin and all that stuff. Here, I don't know how I can assess the overall portfolio risk. When I look at my Tastyworks account, it tells me what the theta value is and the delta value is of the entire portfolio, right? But I don't, you know, like if tomorrow the market takes like a 20% downturn, for example, right? I don't know how my portfolio is going to behave at that time or how risky my positions are at the moment. I, I'm wondering if there's any metric that tells you hey, this is a pretty risky portfolio versus not. Like, I don't know if the delta and theta combined value for the entire portfolio tells me something that I'm missing. Yeah, okay. So I was going to say, if you have a lot of positions, then generally the overall Greeks combined that your portfolio is telling you, that's going to tell you your risk at that moment in time. Because, you know, delta changes, gamma changes, vega changes, all of that changes. And, and I think one thing is you want to have a healthy amount of capital available 
um, unless you really know kind of what you're doing or my strategy is where I use very tight stops. If you're going to do kind of the tasty trade style where you're going to try and roll and manage some positions that are turning into losers, you want to keep a pretty good, healthy margin buffer, right? You don't want to hit that margin call. So that's one way, just your capital allocation. That, that's a proxy for kind of how much risk you have. The, the problem with the Greeks is margin can expand very rapidly, right? And the more capital efficient vehicle you use, like portfolio margin, futures options, that's a two-edged two sword, right? Because the more efficient it is, the more leverage it is, and the more it can blow up in your face. So one way to have an idea, and you know, go back to my essays about notional risk, right? You take the face value of the strikes multiplied by 100, you get an idea of the notional risk, right? And the thing that people don't understand, like for example, SPY with you know, let's call it 400 strike, right? The notional value is 40,000. If your buying power is only, you know, 4,000, which is 10% of that, it seems really small, but you're still trading a $40,000 notional product, right? What SPX is 400,000. So imagine, you know, not that you're doing this, but if you bought 100 shares of a $4,000 stock, how fast can that thing move? That's sort of the, the velocity and the volatility of those positions, right? Recognizing, you know, because I'm here, I'm probably sitting at, you know, in certain times, 400, 500% leverage, right? But that's because I trade very far out options, very low delta with very tight stops. The notional size is pretty big, but I'm going to get out long before, you know, something happens. So keep an eye on your notional size, your buying power, and certain brokers like Thinkorswim. I think Tasty has this as well, but there's risk graphs and they can do it for a single position or a composite of different positions, but you can essentially change the volatility level and you can, there's a risk graph that shows you the PL theoretical for a move in the market or for a certain level and volatility expansion. So I know Toss, for example, has a pretty good risk graph. Interactive Brokers has a really crappy one. And I think Tastyworks has some, something like that. So those are sort of the different mechanisms and different things to keep an eye out for in terms of assessing your your overall risk um all right arun back to you yeah uh, maybe another beginner solution so since i'm uh, still starting so what is like ideally uh, the brokerage uh, uh, is a healthy brokerage you pay so like uh, if i look at my trade so far i paid like 3.25 percent uh, of the overall uh, let's say the uh, money which i put in into my account so what is like a general uh, guidelines there or it's like I'm paying too much, too less, or maybe it's okay. So anything on that, please? Um, for me, from what I've seen so far, they're all fairly competitive. And of course, different brokerages let you negotiate um, the rate and stuff. But what I would really think about is don't get too caught up on that because honestly, at the end of the day, you're getting what you paid for. And for example, like interactive brokers doesn't really negotiate and their fees are kind of high mm -hmm. relative to the other ones, but their order technology, execution technology is really good. And if you're mm -hmm. trading professionally or uh, managing a fund or whatever, those things matter, right? I think what it comes down to is um, from what I've seen, just for beginners, learning options, if you're trying to learn how to adjust and doing things like Tastyworks, for example, has a really good interface. They don't mm -hmm. have a lot in terms of like, the charting tools so i've heard now they're introducing like back testing stuff and other things that kind of more full feature toss of course has always been very popular um but honestly the commissions you know don't get too bogged down on it okay. um, i would say uh, two things to work on this again if you trade high quantity you can always negotiate to get a lower right? that's just your advantage and the other thing is oh, i alluded to this earlier as you trade larger products and trade more you know naked so you're getting more credit per transaction. Hmm. That's something that's effectively going to drive down your relative cost of trading, right? And, and and the interesting like you think of it as a business, you know, like you have your you know your bottom line, what impacts it, all the inputs and outputs, right? So if you can reduce the expense relatively, you know, you're going to even incrementally, if you save, you know, one percent, two percent, right? That's mm. an extra percent yeah. to to your bottom yeah. line. So I, I think I would focus on that. Don't get too bogged down on the commission mm. per se, but mm. find a broker that you're comfortable with the platform and kind of learn the mm. craft first, and then you can focus on, you know, pick which one you want based on the technology they offer mm. or or the interface or something. So that's mm. kind of what I say about that. Mm. Um, okay, okay. Uh, Karen, back to you. Um, what about using your strategies on, say, like uh, RUT, the Russell 2000? Have, I, I used to trade 
Russ, uh, and um, all I would say is really the spread isn't very good. It's not very liquid. Um, if you look at SPX, for example, that's like a 4,000 priced, you know, no, um, price, right? And, and the, the bid ask spread is like 10, 15 cents. And I've seen RUT, which is, um, where, where is RUT right now, actually? Uh, Russell 2K. So it's at 2,000. It's like half the notional, but I've seen the, the spread get as wide as 50 cents or a dollar. So it's, it's a bigger spread on a smaller notional. So that spread, you know, like I was talking to, to Arun about fixed costs, right? If commissions are a fixed cost, slippage is also a cost, right? People don't think about that much, but like every time you get into and out of position, you're paying that slippage, no matter what, what you think is going on. So that is a 50 cents a dollar that, that's taken out of your pocket every time. So you, that's why Tasty Trade, for example, emphasizes so much on the liquidity. Now, if you just have a certain set of products that you want to trade and rut is one of them i mean that's okay but like if i were going to pick one product um like my strategy is like i just applied spx and spy because i'm i'm trading such high frequency the the liquidity is going to be extremely important so um even to the point where you might want to consider iwm right if you're going to trade a, a spread on rut for example just trade naked on IWM. Yes, I get it's one-tenth the size, depending on the volatility, but sometimes the liquidity just seems easier. And, and depending on the kind of strategy, if you're using hard stops, probably you don't want to trade RUT, but if you're trading something where you can manage it and it's a longer data strategy, it, it might be okay. It just comes down to liquidity. And that's another reason why I don't, my, I personally don't trade NDX. I know plenty of people do and have success with that. It's just depending on the kind of strategy and how you manage it, the liquidity is going to have a, a more or less impact on the outcome. So, um, okay, uh, Vivek. Yeah, my question really is mostly about stops and slippage, right? Like there is a, a you know, and, and I'm I'm a healthy skeptic, right? Which means that I generally see that okay, there's an underlying asset that has a risk profile. Right, whether it's mm -hmm. at SPX or an individual stock, et cetera, right? And what options do in my view is, is you know, play with the risk and reward profile, right? Like long options, you know, higher risk, higher reward, et cetera, right? So uh, sometimes I see that it uh, so somehow is presented as like, all right, this is like a money tree and this is a very good way of making money, which I understand it is, but there's a bare case of that. And I'd like to kind of understand what is that? Like, what is the event in which case things just blow up? So for example, is it possible that, you know, during the COVID crash, let's say it didn't happen overnight, it happened intraday and it started off intraday, right? Mm -hmm. Is it possible that a lot of people had stops that just either didn't get executed or the slippage was so vast that, uh, you know, it's like, oh man, like I thought I had my stop over here and my risk was controlled at 3X, but uh, I'm looking at a 10X loss. Have you seen that practically happen? You're basically asking about another flash crash, right? So with generally the longer dated options are going to have more liquidity. Um, something like zero DTE where you're really pushing to the limits, right? The issue is because on something like zero DTSPX, you're most likely trading against market makers, right? There's rarely somebody just happens to be on the other side taking your trade. And with uh, last Wednesday, or a couple of Wednesdays ago, when you know there was like the Fed minutes release, or uh, honestly, anytime a, a Fed day comes up and there's an intraday, you know, mini black swan, you you'll if you watch the chain, you'll see the spreads widen. Right? I've seen them hold wide, a dollar wide, dollar fifty wide for a minute, two minutes at a time. In those instances, you're going to get that big slippage. Now, from what I understand, order technology, order routing, exchange technology is a lot better now than the last flash crash with like what, like 2010 or something like that. Um, and so I, I can't say definitively whether or not it's going to be because I've heard horror stories about like not even the flash crash, but like during 2008 when markets were crashing and there was nobody on the other side, right? Basically, market makers just vanished, right? There's nobody taking a trade. Um, can that happen again? I, no one knows, right? But my understanding is that liquidity and just te technology is a lot better now. And at the end of the day, you're going to want to size your trades appropriately so that you don't just 
have a blow up. Now, one thing I will mention is that even the flash crash, because I, I read about it a little bit, it wasn't actually instant, right? The, the market was chopping around. And I think sometime in midday, you know, somebody had some kind of fat finger order or triggered a sell off and they triggered a bunch of other ones. And it, it took, you know, 20 minutes or something to develop, which was like what 20% drop and then it bounced. So, you know, I personally use fairly tight stops. So the understanding is as soon as something happens, you're going to kind of get out before that, that whole move happens, right? Because we can get stopped out. You know, we always complain about getting stopped out in like a minute, right? When we, big red candle happens. But like, I, I don't really imagine like, a 20 minute move of the market going 10, 20% down. And, you know, like I said, I'm hopefully going to get out there way ahead of time. Um, so, you know, that, that's honestly the best I can say, just from my understanding, like the technology is there to kind of improve that situation. And I think if you're fairly, you know, diligent about exiting soon and kind of keeping the size in check, you know, you just got to take preventative measures, you know, and don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't put all your capital trading, trading something like this, you know. Um, David, a follow-up very related question to that is that if for backtesting anything, right, mm -hmm. is it actually backtesting reality, backtesting reality, which includes slippage, right? Like, or is it just like, hey, this is like, right? Like, so you've got, let's say you backtest something and you say 3x stops, right? Right. And then you look at your P&L, is that reality or is that not factoring in that there are going to be days with some slippage and it's not going to hit exactly a 3x, uh, right? Yeah, so so that's going to depend on the backtest software. In, for example, eDelta Pro, there there's going to be configurations and disclaimers and it's going to tell you how you are triggering or monitoring for a stop happening, right? They're either going to compare it to the opening price, the, the high price, the low price, or the closing price. And the execution... I think there's like settings that you can tell it, do you want it to execute at exactly this amount? Or, you know, for example, if the market got gapped out in the morning, it's, it's already past your 2X, right? They want to market based on the opening price. Now, from, my, from what I understand, those back tests, they have the data that they bought and they're basing it off the calculated stop level. So it's not going to factor the slippage. But usually what I do is I'll take the raw data from the back test and I build these studies and the raw data is going to give me kind of the clean quote unquote win rate and, and probabilities, but I will artificially add the slippage and I'll have a toggle where what happens if there's 10 cent slippage, 20 cent slippage, and I'll add it in artificially and simulate because you expect the results to get worse. Right. So that way, because you obviously you're kind of alluding to this, but like if the fees are high enough and the slippage are high enough, something that looks good on paper can easily get destroyed or just a lot worse in practice. So something you always want to keep an eye out for and keep in mind. So people who want to do back testing, just be aware of how the numbers are calculated and you want to do it in a way that's robust and figure out a way to get the numbers and then build in, add in that level of slippage. That will give you the most accurate picture. Um, okay, Arun. Uh, David, in your uh, podcast and also in your essays, you've been stressing on the premium capture rate and also the trade expectancy. Yes. Yes. So, uh, uh, my, my question to you, uh, of course, uh, maybe first, thank you for this because uh, I, I realized when I added those calculations to my sheet, even though I had a 60, 70 percent win rate, but my expectancy was negative. <laughs> so, sure. and uh, at Good least then I, early, by the way. <laughs> yes, yes. So then I realized, okay, oh, shit, I'm doing something wrong. Uh, but my question to you is, what is your uh, like a uh, North Star? Is it the premium capture per trade or is it the expectancy per trade? Uh, what you, what, what, what you are, of course, they are both same things in the end, but yes, what yes. you are really going after uh, from uh, uh, both of this? I, I like that phrase, North Star. I'm going to use that. Yeah, my North Star is the premium capture rate. And, and again, in my podcast, I mentioned, you know, so many things kind of aligned for me. Hearing that one episode once of Tasty Trade, you know, calling Tom and Tony, somebody asked Tom, like, how much theta do you expect to keep in a given year? And he said 25%, right? And then I, I ran on my studies and I, the 25% kept coming up, right? And again, I've stressed that it's going to be more or less in different times, but 25% for me is the, the gold standard that I strive for. It doesn't mean you're always going to get it. But like you said, the expectancy and the premium capture in for short premium strategies, they're, they're basically one and the same, right? For, mm -hmm. for debit strategies, it's not quite the same because you're not selling premium. So you're capturing, it's, it's just not the same thing. For, for short premium strategies, 
the expectancy is basically the premium capture rate. And so all of my strategies are, are based on you know this, this idea of expectancy hacking where I'm trying to fix that win-loss ratio and then adjust the delta, adjust the parameters of the trade until the win rate is high enough for that positive expectancy to appear. Um, but yes, the, the, the North Star for me is premium capture rate, aka expectancy, because it lets me ground and have a singular thread that ties all of my strategies together. And that lets me work backwards to allocate the sizing, how much credit I want to target mm -hmm. and compare all the strategies and, and figure out when one's doing better or, or worse. Yeah, so that, I, that's why it comes back to that. Yeah, because uh, at least uh, uh, you, from the recent podcast, uh, I did the back calculation as well for, for my account and activities. So at least uh, from the premium capture rate, uh, I was doing my calculation. So uh, of course, uh, as you mentioned, uh, if I go from the day one, of course, I'm currently at uh, maybe 12, 13% sure. uh, of the premium capture rate. But if I exclude the first 25 trades where I had like 75% losing trades, I'm at uh, around uh, 30, 32% uh, premium capture rate uh, from that perspective. But it's a good, uh, let's say, indicator or a number uh, to have, or at least to know or to strive for. Yes, uh, like, uh, like I said, I will use it as my North Star, at least uh, to, to, to see, okay, where I go yes, from here. Yeah. Sure. Okay, Karen? Oh, sorry, sorry about that. Sure. Um, I was wondering, do you um, do any type of like a VIX uh, hedge? Yes. Like, um, in fact, uh, you know, I was kind of um, perplexed. Uh, someone mentioned, so there was a, a video that Option Alpha put out on YouTube for VIX hedging, and I don't know why they took it down. <laughs> Maybe because they're planning to do something with it or something else they want to promote. But um, I essentially do a, it's called a 10 Delta call ladder. So we're buying um, call options on the VIX 120 days out at 10 Delta. And the way they taught it was, it's on a rolling basis. So if, if every month you buy whatever's 120 days out, after a month, the 120 days becomes 90 day. You buy the next 120 day. After a month, the 90 becomes a 60. 120 becomes a 90 by the next 20. So once you're in steady state, you have four tranches with the 30, 60, 90, and 120. And as they decay, you add more. Now, how much you want to put, it's, it's just based on your allocation, how much you want to spend. They, they recommended 25, uh, 25 basis points, which is a quarter percent of your account spent per month, right? So that means you're going to spend 3% of your account buying this hedge. Um, and I, I kind of split it a, a little bit more rather than a quarter percent every month. I, I do an eighth of a percent every two weeks just so I can have two opportunities to buy. So I'll buy the like the 135 days to expiration and then when that comes down to 120 i'll buy the 120 um and then then kind of leapfrogging every two weeks so the for them they're under back test you know they showed that in covid for example you got a pretty big return on, on capital i think you know and, and one of my friends was running and got the same thing right he basically got a 20 percent return on his account which is like two thousand percent return all right because it's, it's a one percent allocation at, at any given time with the four tranches do we should not expect that to ever happen again, recent, at least not for a few years, because, you know, we go through these long periods of time where there's all this complacency and the volatility comes down and the, and the wings get underpriced. And that's why, you know, VIX was, you know, really low for a while. And these 10 Delta calls were like 35, 40 strike. Now the 10 Delta call is like 65 or 70 strike. So by default, it's not going to work as well as it did back in COVID. Um, but at the end of the day, do you still want to, hedge your account i mean if you it makes you feel better you can sleep at night it gives you some peace of mind you know there's that and how much it will really help who knows but you know it, it should be more than nothing because even in the the last couple of months when we had these you know two percent down days or like the four percent over two days you know it, it did have a pop right not that big because vix really never went over like 40 again in the last few months but like if it went to 50 60 70 you know i, I do expect that to to have some has some return so um again i wish i could just direct you to the video i don't know why i took it down maybe i'll put an episode out on it um but but yes that that's that's the hedge that i'm i'm running and and some people in the format are, are doing that as well um okay vivek 
Yeah, I guess my question is more about you know, for someone that isn't, you know, like folks like us, right, who are not professional traders, etc. What percentage or amount of buying power do you always keep free, right? As in, uh, I, you know, just assume whether it's a cash account or uh, uh, let's call it a portfolio margin account, right? Um, you know, it, for me, Tastyworks, it's always giving me a rundown of like, what is my current buying power remaining, right? And um, yeah, so there, is there like a good rule of thumb that says, hey, keep 50% of your buying power at handy in case a position goes against you, right? Um, yeah. I think it's going to come down to the type of trading that you do. And I see that as sort of two schools of thoughts that the tasty trade style where you're rolling losers and trying to nurse those large positions that get kind of the, the, the lost balloons. Um, well, obviously, you know, you're going to have your 85, 90% win rate, but the kind of the five to 10% that you're always rolling, those kind of eat at the buying power. Um, so that's where you have to watch out for that buying power expansion. They've done a few videos. I, I think the guideline is sound, you know, like during low medium volatility, I, I think they're using, you know, 25, 30%. So they're leaving, you know, 65, 70% free. And then when volatility expands, you, you might use as much as 40, 50, 60, right? So you're only leaving, you know, 30, 40. That, that makes sense mainly because you want to leave room for that expansion. Basically, you just don't want to run into the margin call. Um, and of course, it's based on your risk tolerance as well. Like as you get more events, maybe you're willing to use more. For me, what I've said is like on my kind of strategies and my style of trading, and people ask me, do I hedge it? I go, no, because the risk management is the hedge, right? For example, I'm, I'm doing these very capital efficient trades. So I am using a high amount of leverage, but the, the stops, you know, the 2x stop loss is actually pretty tight, right? You're going to get stopped out long before you actually run into the um, margin expansion because like, and I don't know if Tasty does this, but for example, interactive brokers, there's something called initial margin and then maintenance margin. Initial margin is how much capital you need to open, right? But the maintenance margin is just how much margin you need just to hold the position. And that's about 10% less than the initial margin. So basically they, they force you to open the position with the 10% margin buffer, right? That's essentially like a mechanism that they have. So for me, even if I can open it, I have enough margin. And again, I'm, I'm probably not going to even see that 10% expansion before it stops me out. Um, and it just, that's just due to the nature of how I trade, which is why for me, I'm comfortable if I wanted to using higher levels of allocation, but it's a very different style of trading. And because I, have very, very tight and strict risk management built right into the mechanics. So that's kind of what you have to have to consider. It's it's very quantifiable the amount of risk I'm willing to take. Whereas with kind of the rolling approach, yes, you have your notional size at entry and the number of contracts, but because they roll and potentially a you let positions, the ones you're nursing kind of balloon, you, you need room for that expansion. So so that's kind of what you want to keep in mind. Um, okay, Arun. I have a similar question, uh, but uh, maybe uh, since I don't uh, still fully understand uh, this, so uh, okay. let's say uh, since I have a uh, small account, uh, mm -hmm. uh, let's maybe take uh, 20,000 uh, as a value for this. Okay. So uh, when I'm investing uh, or at least uh, selling uh, premiums, yes. So uh, if, let's say if I'm getting 100 uh, euros or dollars uh, per trade, then at least what I'm doing is uh, considering the 2x loss. loss uh, as in my calculations, which is sure. like then to 200. Right. And then what I'm doing is uh, currently only, uh, let's say, selling premiums uh, or the losses equivalent to 40% of uh, that 20,000, okay. so which is like 8,000. So uh, uh, as an approach, yes. is, is that the right approach or is that uh, something uh, which I can still optimize or do differently? But uh, that's how I'm at least approaching it. Yes, maybe I, I don't understand it fully. Yeah, no, that that's actually kind of approach I do um, because I've said many times for me, based on my approach, the credit is a proxy for the risk because of the risk management. At the same time, because I naturally use a low amount of buying power anyways, that kind of credit risk approach is all I do. I literally look at, like you said, if I sold 5% of premium, I have 10% at risk because that's my tolerable loss. 
The issue is only if you really want to push these strategies where you get into larger allocation. Because um, if you listen to my episode on the um, sizing and capital um, buying power management, the different trades have some overlapping positions. So the buying power of even running the strategy can expand and it ebbs and flow. So you just need to leave room for that. And of course, there's always the possibility of gap risk, right? You saw the 10x loss with the two mm-hmm. to three DT strategy, 5x loss with a seven DT strategy. So I, I think your approach is okay, but mm-hmm. you do need to, and you should go and learn about notional risk, how margin is calculated, right? In my okay. essays, and I really want to put in a couple episodes on how margin is calculated, what notional risk means. And I want to, because <laughs> frankly, I'm, it's a little disturbing sometimes that people, it, it, honestly, it's not their fault. Like it's, it's really hard to understand the way there's not a lot of good literature and education. Like they just don't understand mm-hmm. how it works. And they just kind of assume, you know, oh, if I, if I keep 50% capital, right, I'm mm-hmm. safe. And generally, that's why they have those guidelines. But at the same time, you really need to understand like what you're doing and where the risk really lies, right? So mm-hmm. I, I think it's it never hurts and you should kind of educate yourself and learn about that. But yes, with all that said, my approach is because of my mechanics, I size my trade and assess my risk based on how much premium I sell because that sort of defines how much mm-hmm. loss I'm willing to take. Mm-hmm. So, um, Okay, Karen? Um, what is, what's your favorite strategy out of all the strategies you do, you use? I don't really have a favorite per se, because through all the back tests I've done, and if you listen to my episode on ensemble trading, and that's why I run them all, because they do go in and out of favor, and it just depends on what the market's doing and how the market reacts and the speed of the moves. You know, I've seen periods of time when one strategy does better than the other. Like this year, 7DT is having kind of a rough time. 45DT is killing it. 2 to 3TD is pretty good. Um, and then, you know, 2018, everything was not that great. Surprisingly, 2 to 3DTE actually was, was positive. I think 45DT was even like a scratch or just a very small winner that year. So... For me, knowing that, like, I don't have a favorite per se. Everything's designed to have different characteristics that react and behave a little differently depending on the market environment and the market move. And so I've really, that's why I look at it from this ensemble or holistic approach, because it, 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 at the end of the day, it, it's the net result of your portfolio, right? I don't care if this one's losing, this one's winning. If my account's growing, it's growing, right? That That's how I look at it. Um, anyways, um, and then uh, um, we're running up on time here. So Vivek, uh, last question, and then uh, we're going to wrap it up. Yeah, I guess, you know, because different strategies work differently at different times, right? Have you seen, like, A, is the right strategy to just understand all of this stuff and adapt it? Uh, because ultimately, right, like all of that stuff, like you said, is somewhat irrelevant because at the end of the day, you know, what matters is, is your ROI on your investable money, right? Which right. includes the cash that you've capped as buying power to prevent, you know, to bail you out, right? Right. And so have you seen where, all right, with all of this stuff together, long-term net-net, um, you know, this is um, one particular strategy just completely outperforms, you know, SPY minus fees and commissions um, using SPY or SPX as the underlying uh, or do you think that, well, you know, given long enough periods of 10 years where one strategy fails, another one succeeds, et cetera, take away slippage, fees and commissions in 10 years down the road, just holding buy and spy and DCAing into it, you know, was just a better strategy. But just your thoughts on that, I guess. I think for me, um, and if you guys haven't, definitely listen to the latest episode of the podcast, because for me, the realization, and this was a good friend of mine introduced this concept, was that nobody knows anything. And, you know, it's so annoying when you do all this work and, like you said, spy makes more money, right? And, and that's why I take this approach where I just combine the two. Why try to beat it when you can just use it to your advantage? And, you know, I, so, you know, I'm holding these index funds 100% in my account. And, and, that comes with its own market risk, right? I'm going to get the ups and downs. But if I'm going to get the SPY return by default, by, by being invested in it, anything I do with options is only going to add to that, right? So I'm going to, by default, be beating the market or beating SPY 
if I make any money from options, right? And that's just my posture because, you know, there's some people who say, you know, we don't do this to benchmark. And if you hold the spy, you're going to have, you know, we do options because the stock market has drawdown and all that. And all that is true. So you need to figure out what your goal is and your risk tolerance is. But the, my approach with combining the passive portfolio with the active overlay, that is specifically to address that point you brought up, right? Because I don't want to have that doubt. Like, I don't know what's going to happen in the next 10 years. Like, Yes, maybe if I did my option strategies to the max, I would beat the market by 10x, whatever it is. I take huge levers, make huge returns, right? Or what if the next year the market tanks and I crater and I, you know, lose half my account? And then so you just don't know. And like for me, to be successful really comes down to not just like skill, but but there is an element of luck and just being able to survive and get through that, you know, all of the ups and downs. And having the conviction, the key is conviction, right? But it's hard to have conviction if you're going to second guess yourself and be like, man, if I had done this, this wouldn't happen. Or man, why am I doing this? Am I not going to beat SPY? So for me, that's just a mechanism for me to kind of ensure that I'm always going to be SPY and I never question it, right? Um, is it always going to be, you know, now, I'm not trying to make 40%, 50%, or, you know, some people make 100%, right? I'm like, like Arun said, like last year, you just got, you know, you, you go invest at the bottom of the COVID, you're going to make 100%. You just put everything in there, right? So I, I don't care about all that. I just, at the end of the day, I want to feel like I'm doing something that is contributing in a meaningful way and I am adding some value. And, you know, it's, again, for me, hold SPY so I don't have to try and beat it because anything I do is value add. All right, so so that that's my approach again. If you guys haven't listened, the the very last episode, uh, or not the last one, but the latest episode of the podcast is basically addressing this, and this is how I've taken my all of the lessons learned and all of the the strategies and combined them in a way that for me is meaningful and lets me have a a conviction and a confidence that I'll be satisfied with the outcome, you know, long term. And uh, no, glad for that question. I think that was a. A, a good wrap and, and hopefully that that's kind of a positive message for you know for people to, to end on and um i want to say uh you know thanks uh, arun um karen vivek thanks for taking the time and uh, you know hopefully we'll get a chance you know get some more guys on here and do this again but hopefully just like i said i want to take this chance that you guys ask questions because i know other people have the same ones and hopefully inspire people you know to you know it's it's a tough uh, it's a tough game it's a tough craft and you're gonna run into lots of ups and downs makes mistakes and you just got to stick in there and you know uh the taste trade options group you know where all of you guys are from you know it's, it's a good group it, it's good to have people that have a common interest and you can bounce ideas and you can see that someone's in there doing the same thing side by side so it's great thanks you guys for doing this thank you thank you david for your time today yeah. i really appreciate it thank you very much all right. Well, that's a wrap, guys. I'll see you guys in the group sometime. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you again. Bye.